Welcome to Coffee with Romina. This is your host, Romina Muhammadai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles, define your own success, and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now let the show begin. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome back to Coffee with Romina podcast. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. I hope you guys are having a tremendous and a fabulous Tuesday or whatever day of the week you are listening to this episode on. If you are brand new to our show, I want to take a moment and thank you for tuning in and welcome to our podcast. And if you are one of our loyal listeners, well, thank you so much for trusting me with your time again. Quick announcement, you guys. We actually launched this on social media platforms, so if you do not follow us on social, go ahead and do so under Coffee with Romina or Connect with Romina anywhere on social media. Yesterday, the podcast turned two years old. I know, it's growing up. It's like a brain baby growing up. It's amazing. We did a photo shoot. I was so excited, and I just felt like this excitement or growth from within me i don't have kids but this is my brain baby so it was really emotional to me i'll be honest and i loved it and it kind of motivated me to do more and more interviews and bring you guys more and more amazing episodes as a matter of fact and today uh we are going to talk about dealing with people you cannot stand i am sure we all have had that co-worker that we're just like oh my god i cannot stand you or even a family member that sometimes we even though we love them to death but you're just like oh my god i don't want to deal with you right now but how do you handle those type of situations so you don't burn bridges how do you handle those type of situations so you'd be able to benefit from the situation and create stronger connections or even create relationships that you never thought it was possible well don't worry guys our guest today is dr rick brinkman and he definitely has the answers for us dr rick brinkman as a matter of fact is the author of the book dealing with people you cannot stand <laughs> literally that's the name of the book it is a micro health production you guys and the last time that they got a record of the book it sold over two million copies number one and number two it's translated in 25 languages i mean that's awesome and amazing and Dr. Rick not only has taught millions of people worldwide how to use his innovative and highly effective conscious communication strategies to deal with difficult people and create more harmonious and productive relationships, but he has also consulted Fortune 500 companies as well as governmental agencies such as Department of Defense, FBI, NASA, I mean... He's kind of a big deal, you guys. So what I would suggest you to do is definitely go ahead and look at the show notes as well to connect with Dr. Rick and make sure to purchase his book, Dealing with People You Cannot Stand, How to Bring Out the Best in People at Their Worst. It is on its third edition. It's an amazing book. I read it myself and it's full of notes. It's one of those books, as a matter of fact, that you might just want to have a sticky note or a little notebook close to you to take notes because it's a really great read and it's a lot of information in there that it's something that we can all benefit from. Not our personal life, but our professional life as well. And that's what the podcast is about, right? Growing personally and professionally. During this interview, one of my favorite things that I talked with Dr. Rick about is dealing with people that have that know-it-all behavior 
and some people know it all but some people are missing a percentage and like dr rick said you definitely don't want to take a plane that is missing two percent of its parts right so how do you handle with those type of people in a workplace you guys as well as if unfortunately you have become that person that people cannot just stand for the moment because of personal things that you might be going through or work stress related issues how do you take charge of that situation and how do you start rebuilding those fruitful relationships with your friends and family again i don't want to spoil the episode anymore you guys so don't forget click on the show notes to connect with dr rick number one numero dos go ahead and purchase his book on amazon numero tres go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast just from numero cuatro make sure to give us a five-star review and a short comment on apple Podcasts. this way for our brand new listeners that would be able to get a quick preview of how amazing our podcast is you guys and numero cinco i have nothing else to say but enjoy hi dr rick how are you doing today oh good thank you it's great to be here thanks for having me absolutely it's my pleasure and i'm actually looking forward to this uh, episode you guys because we're going to talk about something that we haven't touched before we're going to talk about dealing with people you can't stand and unfortunately we have a lot of those in our life sometimes even though we don't like to admit it but mm-hmm. before we actually get to the conversation dr rick i actually want to pass on the mic to you to tell the audience a quick recap of how did you even get into the career that you are right now because this is not a normal career you know helping others deal with people that can't stand <laughs> Well, my training is as a naturopathic physician, and a naturopathic physician is a holistic medical degree where you're really looking at uh, cause, you know, what's going on with people. Is it in their diet? Something about uh, maybe their genetics and interacting. But for me, my course was shifted a little bit when I met a medical doctor in my senior year who said that the symptom is a metaphor for what's going on. And if somebody had uterine bleeding, you should ask them, if those were teardrops, what do you think you'd be crying about? And he shifted his practice from a typical GYN to more of a counseling practice. And that really affected me. He had a reading list. And on that reading list were nine books uh, on neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. This is way before Anthony Robbins had any part of that. And uh, I read those books along with my friend who was a year behind me. And we started prying into people's lives about what was going on for them mentally, emotionally, and their relationships and such. And uh, I remember we had a, a young woman who was 22 and she had a class four PAP. That's very, that's five at cancer. They don't use those classifications anymore, but this is back in about 1979. And we dug a little deeper about what's going on in her life, her relationships. How does she feel about herself? And long story short, a month later, her, her cervix was normal and she had blossomed and changed her attitude. And, and before I knew it, I was counseling more and more people with physical symptoms that nothing else worked on and getting results, rheumatoid arthritis, normal arthritis, cancers, all kinds of serious stuff. And that really shifted me into mind-body medicine and my practice became all mind-body medicine. And that, of course, led to doing seminars on communication. You know, I find there's some really significant areas of our life that are going to reverberate greatly. One is people in relationships. That's going to have a big effect. Another is fulfillment. Are you fulfilling what's important to you? I remember I had a patient who every day went to work and sold something she didn't believe in. You see the tension here. When she quit that job, she not only became more happy and successful, but then her tumors disappeared. So 
Next thing I know, Dr. Rick and I, we both were the Ricks, are, are touring the country doing these four-day seminars. And we were so bored in medical school that we, we wanted to entertain people. And so our goal was to be the Saturday Night Live of training. And we would travel with a costume trunk and do characters and skits. And I remember I spent an hour and a half as Bert the cab driver, the last English-speaking cab driver in New York, going to teach you how to be specific and really understand what people are saying. And one thing led to another and another. And then we made this tape, which blew the doors off the audio industry. And by two years after its release, it was Columbia House's all-time best-selling tape called Dealing with Difficult People. That led to the book Dealing with People You Can't Stand, published by McGraw-Hill. We never would have expected that book to have such a worldwide thing. It's in 25 languages. But, you know, so many cultures have different rules of the communication game, and yet it seems that everyone can relate to it. I mean, the bad news is that everyone in the world seems that they can't stand each other. The good news, it was good for business. Ching, ching. <laughs> so I've done 4,000 programs in 18 countries, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, honestly, not a lot of people are as direct on the titles, I would say. Sometimes it's like having those difficult conversations or how to handle, you know, hard conversations or hard situations. But your book title just straight up says it, you know, dealing with people you can't stand to begin with, which is very good. And it says also how to bring out the best in people at their worst. So yes. this is what I would love to actually cover for our episode as well today, because I feel like with everything going on, there's a lot. I mean, 20. 20 just itself. I feel like it was five years yeah. condensed in one. Yeah, and this show is sponsored by Sales Law of Averages online course. The course is a business development course teaching sales professionals and entrepreneurs how to master their sales funnel through sales and negotiation techniques. We all work hard on our leads, but unfortunately often fail to convert those leads to sales. Well, now you can say goodbye to those days. Order the course today at connectwithromina.com forward slash courses to get a deep discount. Receive access to over 40 videos, five hours of training material, and study even movie negotiation scenes today for just $79. Use the promo code Romina, which is spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Again, the website is connectwithromina.com forward slash courses and use the promo code Romina that's spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Master your sales today. As much as you know, humans can be flexible. Sometimes uh, it, it's a lot on us. So mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of separate it at the beginning about work and life. The most common problems that I've seen, at least at work, is having that coworker that knows it all or having that coworker that j just puffs up their chest, like, you know, her or his chest and says like, I got this, I know it when they don't. So to me, that as a researcher and, you know, with like facts and with like, you know, okay, let's all talk about it. Let's brainstorm as a team, not just one person, you know, everything. How do we handle such a situation in a professionalism matter that we don't overstep our boundaries either? Well, you know, all things depend on uh, two factors, context, where are we, what's going on, and relationship, who you're with. And the two behaviors you described, they are two different behaviors. One is know-it-all. And the true know-it-all does know what they're talking about, the depth of knowledge. But the problem behavior is it's the unwillingness to hear what anyone else has to say. So it's closed-mindedness. And maybe they do know 98% of a particular subject. Okay, let's only remove 2% of the parts on an airplane. Ready to go for a flight? 
that 2% is important. And that's what the problem with know-it-all behavior is. It shuts people down and people give up and they stop speaking at meetings. Now, the other one you described is, think they know it all. That's right. I'm an expert and I believe it too, because when words come out my mouth, they come in both my ears and I think, hey, this must be true. I just heard it twice. So this is a different problem because think they know it all behavior doesn't really know what they're talking about. And they can easily lead you over a cliff and into the sea before you know what hits you. So when you're dealing with know-it-all behavior, you want to respect their knowledge. And what you want to do is be innocent and curious and ask a lot of questions. Oh, great one. What makes you say that? And, And why is this the best solution? And whenever you're asking questions, you are showing respect to somebody because so this drops their defenses. But then what you want to really get down to is their criteria. Whenever people have a point of view or an idea, it originates with what we call an intent, an overall purpose. And then there's certain relevant factors, criteria that have to be satisfied. Here's where I'll tell you what I became aware of intent and criteria. I was in my office with a couple. It was the end of the visit. Everybody's feeling good. She suddenly turned to him and said, honey, let's go to the Rose Gardens. And he said, nah. And she said, okay. And I said, wait a second. What's your intent right now? Why did you bring this up? Why do you want to go to the Rose Gardens? She says, well, we're feeling closer than we have in a long time. We have an hour before I have to pick up the kids. I thought it'd be nice to spend some quiet time together. And he goes, that's a great idea. I don't want to be outside too hot, too buggy. How about the cafe we've been meaning to try? She says, sure. Now, studio audience, does she really care about Rose Gardens? No, it's she cares about spending time together. That's the intent, the purpose. But why Rose Gardens? Why not dinner for two or a move your uh, a cruise? Well, the answer is criteria, okay? They only they have an hour before to pick up the kids, so they have a time criterion that has to be satisfied, that's maybe fixed. Maybe going along with that, Rose Gardens is on the way home. Maybe there's budgetary criteria. It won't cost anything. Maybe there's some kind of special meaning to that place, or maybe there's no meaning. It's a new place and they could be fresh and new with each other. So whenever people have an idea or point of view, it originates with intent. They then run the intent through the criteria and out pops idea. But more often than not, we do not communicate intent and criteria. We do what she did. Hey, let's go to the Rose Garden. And he thinks, nah. But once he gets time together, now he understands the purpose. He adds a few more criteria, be indoors, avoid bugs heat. But what if she wants a romantic, quiet place and the cafe is a noisy dive? Well, then if he doesn't know her criteria, he's not going to understand why she rejects the cafe and says Rose Gardens and vice versa. And they're just going to go Rose Gardens Cafe, Rose Gardens Cafe, Rose Gardens Cafe. So really, and this isn't just true with know-it-all, I can tell you there's like five ways that we get into conflict with each other more often than not. And one is not speaking intent or criteria or not knowing that. As a communicator, really, what you really want to do is learn to speak in this order, intent, criteria, idea. So if he was doing that, and and when she spontaneously said Rose Gardens, he wouldn't just go, nah, he would go, really? Why why do you want to do that? Oh, well, we can spend some quiet time together. Oh, great, but why Rose Gardens? Well, it's on the way home, won't cost anything. That's what you want to elicit. So coming back to know-it-all, this is really what has to happen with know-it-all behavior, okay? You want to find out why they think their reasons are the gift from God. And whenever you're asking questions and listening, people feel like you really care to understand them. So the know-it-all's defenses drop. And then here's a little trick. If if you are in a, a visual situation, 
write people's criteria. So if I was in a conference room, let's say with the know-it-all, I might get up and walk over to the whiteboard and as I'm asking questions and getting their criteria and intent, I put it on the whiteboard because written communications remain over time. Auditory, you say it, it's gone. Written stays there. So they see it, they see you see it, they get that you get it. And then it becomes very easy to go, you know, another factor here we should consider is this. And then I could add one more factor to the list and it doesn't look like it's contradictory because it, it's just a whole list and here's another factor. Whereas if we don't have the visual and we just are auditory and I go, and this is what people usually do. Yeah, but, and they say, but anytime you start with a, but it sounds like you're going to contradict where you just came from. And I've noticed in human behavior, a lot of times we transition from listening to the other point of view to ours by using a, but, and as soon as people hear that, they feel like you've just thrown away everything, uh, sit on your butt, but don't say it unless you want to create contradiction. That's what that word is, is for. So, but the, the visual thing is really, uh, makes it a lot easier. And so that's with know-it-all behavior. Now with think they know it all, their depth of knowledge is not there. So you just innocently start asking questions and what's going to happen in three or four questions, the bottom is going to fall out because there is no depth to it. But again, you're just being innocent and curious. So you're not attacking and you're not putting them down. You're not getting them defensive. You're just innocent and curious. And then what they have to say falls apart. And then you say, well, you know, it might be a good idea if we did this. And then what they're going to do is they're going to jump on board with your idea because think they know it all behavior is ego gone mad. Okay. It's where you get the one-upsmanship. You were sick. Then they want to tell you how they were sicker. You had a great vacation. They had a bigger it's vacation. It's like a competition. Exactly. You had a big inauguration. They had a bigger inauguration. That's think they know it all in action. And we've seen a, a huge think they know all of it. I love it because you focus a lot on having that open com communication and having those, you know, that conversation going on, the deeper questioning, trying to get to the root of what's happening, like you brought up for the example for the couple, right? But you also, we're also talking about listening skills because those are very important in order for us to build good relationships to begin with. Another question that I wanted to ask is how do we build sometimes healthy boundaries in the work environment? when we just have to, you know, build a relationship, but both parties just don't like each other. Like you counseling, you know, you get a mediator and everything. They just don't like each other. They're very different. How can these two people create healthy boundaries in a workplace that still brings productivity to the team? Yeah, that's a very important question. Well, you know, I, I think what you really want to do in any situation is build rapport with people. The more rapport you have, the easier it is to work together. Now, some people are going to be more business-like and get to the point and they're, they're not going to appreciate if you ask about their day, that's not relevant to them. Other people are going to need a little more chit chat. And how you doing? Oh, great. This, this and that. So you want to recognize where people are coming from and you meet them where they are. We call that blending, meeting people where where they are. Let's say you're uh, traveling somewhere sometime, you get in a conversation with someone about something. In the course of your conversation, you discover we grew up in the same place. In that moment, differences are moved. You feel closer. That's an example of blending. Let's say we we're going out and we wear the same uh, style or colors or wear the same sports team's paraphernalia. That's blending. We're in a restaurant. We look at the menu. We say, what are you going to have? What is what they're going to have have to do what you're hungry and thirsty for? It's not about hunger and thirst. It's about rapport. If we have similar things, we'll feel closer. So in our book, we have what we call the lens of understanding, and it's a way of understanding human behavior. And we find there are four basic intents that are all part of us. We want to get things done. We want to get those things done right. We want to get along with people. 
and we want to get appreciated by people. Now, so put yourself in your own shoes. Ever ever need to get something done? Of course. Well, when that's the prime intent at that moment, you're going to get more assertive. You're going to be direct and push forward and very task focused because that's what it takes to get things done. But on the other hand, it's important to get it right. And if, if I want to get it right, then I got to slow it down, make sure all the details get covered. Obviously, given anything we're working on at any moment in time, we have a perfect balance between get it done and get it right that we have to achieve. Now, you can see how these two people could drive each other crazy because even though they're both task focused, one person's pushing it forward and the other one's slowing slowing it down. That doesn't mean that people are always that way. It depends, again, on context and relationship. And you may know somebody who seems to be a bully most of the time at work, but you don't realize what a wimp they turn into in another situation or another relationship that you never see. All right. So we have get it done. We have get it right. We have get along. You know, if you want to get along with people, you're going to be easygoing and friendly. If they say, you know, I'm hungry. Would you like to get something? You go, sure. Okay. Where would you like to go? I don't know. Where would you want to go? I don't know. Are you hungry? I don't know. Are you? Do we not know if we're hungry? We could figure this out, but we're doing that moment. We're putting our needs secondary to please somebody else. It's part of getting along. It's a little less assertive. It's also important to get appreciated by people. And if we want to be appreciated by people, that's who we're focused on. That's people focused. But in those cases, we tend to be more assertive because what goes hand in hand is contribution. Ooh, ooh, you ever gotten this place for lunch? You haven't. Everybody, up. Oh, we're going right now. I'm not inquiring for their needs or plans. I'm just putting myself out in turn. Hopefully, I'll be appreciated. So again, depending on context, where are we? What's going on? Depending on relationship, who we're with, one of these becomes more important than the other and behavior skews off in that direction. So circling back to your question. You may not like each other, but you know what? You, you're going to find common ground. And it sounds like in that situation, you're probably not going to chit chat about personal things. Although it's also possible at some right moment that you dig a little deeper. You know, this reminds me of one of the patients I had very early on, and she had a, a person in her office that was very intimidating to her. He was always gruff and rah, 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 rah. and she learned about blending and establishing rapport. And she said, well, hey, Frank, I noticed you have this picture of a, a car on your desk. What's that car? Oh, that's my 57 T-Bird. Really? Oh, 1950? Yeah, 1950. Is that a, a oh, yeah. Let, let me tell you about it. And all of a sudden, she had rapport. She hit a place with this guy, and the relationship changed after that. That's building rapport common ground. So in any ongoing relationship, realize that when you blend with people, it's not only a one-time thing, it's like money in your relationship bank, and it builds up rapport over, over time. And so we do want to respect where people are. Some people want us to get to the point. Some people need us to really give our thinking and all the reasons we think what we think, they're not just going to take it on the surface. Other people need to know, oh, how's your family? How's it? Oh, your dog? What kind of dog do you have? You know, they need that personal connection. So it is really about being flexible yourself and meeting people where they are. How can you maybe demand respect from somebody that you don't like? Well, I don't think demanding it is going to get you anywhere, but you could you would probably earn their respect if you beat them where they are. Like, uh, for example, let's say you're more get it right. You, you know, you're very specific and you need to know your thinking. I'm not going to get any respect from you if I say, I think we should do it this way. And you're like, and why do you think that? Okay. But if I come to you and say, Ramina, here's what I think we should do. And here's why. I know it's very important that we do this and this and this, and you definitely want to make sure the budget is balanced and that this is fair to everybody. And it's got to look good too. So I was thinking, all right, what well, would be fair to everybody? Make sure it's balanced. Look too. So therefore I was thinking that's the way I would have to approach you. And that, and I would get respect 
out of that rapport by meeting you where you are. And then another question that I kind of want to move to into a little bit more personal life, which also can relate in the business, because if, you know, life events take place in our personal life, of course, it affects our work, our life, everything in between. So let's say we have a very close friend or a family member that it just a temporary can stand type of person because it just, you know, something is just going on with them. How can we have those hard conversations with them and still be there for them? When, but in our side, we're like, oh my God, I don't even want to be here. Like you are not even who my friend would be. You'd be like the person that I would never talk to. How can we stand grounded and be there for them, even though they're a whole nother spectrum? Well, I think you have to always think, well, there's also something in it for you. The more flexible you can learn to be, the more success you're going to have in life in every situation, both personal and business. And so you think of it like going to the gym. All right. Oh, I got to deal with a know-it-all. Oh, I'm going to do my know-it-all squats. A little later, I got to deal with whining. Oh my God. And you really want to realize that this is building your character, your strength and developing yourself. It's not just about them, but you get the gold by learning to be flexible and you're not going to be stressed out by all these different behaviors. So I also want to turn a little bit the the mirror into ourselves. What if we are that person and, you know, we see people react to us a certain way, but finally it hit us and it processed us that we are the person that people cannot stand. Where can we, and like, it can be in one side of the, you know, it can be in work, personal, or just a certain conversations that you, we're just that person that nobody wants to have a conversation with. How can we improve ourselves and develop ourselves in order for us to become better? I mean, by being flexible and meeting people where they are, you'll you'll already be accomplishing that. But there is also an inner game that you're pointing us to, and that's what's happening inside yourself. How do you change your reactions to anybody and anything? And the process is modeling. Modeling is when you go, all right, what is the quality I need? Or let's say I need patience, or I need to be more assertive, or I need to hang back, whatever that is. And then you ask yourself, well, who would have that? behavior. When I was learning to speak in front of groups, all right, I was like anyone scared, nervous, whatever. I asked myself, who would be calm and centered in front of 200 people? And I immediately thought of Kwai Chang Kane from the Kung Fu television show. It was a show from the 70s, David Carradine, he's a Kung Fu master in the old Wild West, throws gunslingers in slow motion. He's not going to worry about 200 people. He knows he could take them if they rush the stage. It was amazing to me. All I had to do was think Kwai Chang and I would practice this, you know, on my own, being Kwai Chang. And imagine being Kwai Chang in front of the group. And lo and behold, I wiped out all nervousness in a two-week period. It was just it was just gone. That's called modeling. The world is your model. It could be anybody and anything. I, I had a guy who wanted to jump up first thing in the morning exercise. I asked him, all right, who do you think would do that? I'm expecting a Rocky Schwarzenegger. He goes, Rexy. I go, Rexy. He's like, yeah, my dog. First thing in the morning, go, oh, out, out, let's go out, let's go out, let's go out. I had to imagine, all right, what's Rexy think? How's Rexy think in the morning? What's he thinking about going outside? How's it look to him? Get inside his body. And bam, he was out there every day. Neighbors weren't happy when he went on their lawn, but he was out there. It could be an inanimate object. I had a patient who was somewhat of a shut-in. She had about a mile radius, but no further than that. And she modeled the mountain. She felt a mountain could withstand anything that life threw at it. And a year later, she's on a three-month trip around around the world. So it could be anybody and anything. If you think something has the quality, someone or some creature, then you're really projecting it out there. And the trick is to 
to own it. And it's all associations. You know, you hear a song and it takes you back. You didn't go, oh, oh yes, I'll never forget this time in my life with the song. No, your mind just did it for you. Or you smell something and you transport it through time. We're always making associations. But if you take charge of your inner game, you're going to make the associations you want on purpose. So part of the motivation, going back to you said this person that you really don't like, part of the motivation is, well, what's in it for me? And yeah, if I can get along with more people, I'm probably going to be more successful in my career. I'm going to be much more satisfied, have a lot less upset. So that's what's worth it for me. Or what do I need from this person? And we can make a trigger. I would I would say when you imagine it, you put your hands together and every time, all right, let's get inside Rexy's body. What's Rexy think first thing in the morning? And then I would give a gentle squeeze. What's Rex? See, think, how does he feel? And squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And what we're purposely doing is creating an association between the squeeze of our hands and the internal state. So that's now a trigger. So again, let's say I'm speaking in front of groups and I did this too. If I needed to bring in Kwai Chang, I could just interlace my hands, you know, of course it would be put have it down here, but like that. But interlace and I'd be you wouldn't know that but I'm bringing in this association. And then eventually it just gets transferred to the group. You know, you're like that way a number of times. Being in front of a group is probably the most comfortable place I could possibly be, where it was once the most fearful. So you always got to think what's in it for you. And, and you know, by being flexible, you you get the gold, really. I love it. And I wanted to kind of bring to phase two also, because I come from a sales and negotiation world where we talk about mirroring. It's very important because you definitely want to relate with a customer. You want to mirror them. But I also want to focus a little bit on, let's say I'm a person that Dr. Rick, you're just like, Romina is so annoying. I can't stand her like the last person on the world I would like to talk to. But you have to talk to me. Would you mirror my pitch, my tone and my voice in order for you to be, you know, one way or another, be like my friend at the moment still? Or would you still being you still be you, Dr. Rick, throughout our conversation? And your mission here is to make sure that, you know, I I do what you tell me because you're also my boss. Well, you know, some mirroring is is good and that's very natural. You know, if you sit and I feel like I should sit. You lean back. I lean back. Uh, you cross your legs. Uh, there's indirect mirroring. I might cross my arms. I wouldn't hallucinate uh, freely as to what you think. You know, oh, this means I'm closed-minded. Well, actually, no, my hands are cold, and I'm really trying to warm them. Uh, but you you don't want to play Simon Says with people. But it is very natural when we're blending that we do we would start to make similar gestures. We do somewhat mirroring. So you really don't have to learn how to mirror. What you have to do is get conscious of what you're doing when it's really working, when communication is really working for you, and how does that little, that dance go? And then it becomes easier to do it in a situation where you might not naturally do it because of personality or behavior or whatever issues there might be between you. Um, another question that I'd love to ask too is if you have good intent into an action or something that you're doing, but it got translated as very negative, unfortunately. How do you actually rebuild respect and trust within the among the group uh, after they don't like? You? Well, how do you know they don't like you? What are, what are you experiencing? They say it to you. Let's say mm -hmm. they don't like you. They they just say they say that hey, I was expecting a lot better from you. What you did it actually came across very negative. I'm just not a fan of you anymore. How would you oh, be well, able to rebuild that trust? Well, first of all, I'd want to go, well, oh, I really didn't realize it was negative. Can you tell me more? What about that was negative? I would go on an information gathering mission immediately to try to understand your perception of the situation. And of course, anytime you, if people feel understood, you really blend and you get 
rapport points, ding, 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 ding. I would just gather information. I wouldn't try to dextify, defend, explain, or justify what I did. I would just gather the information. There might be a point in the conversation where it was appropriate, where we realize, oh, well, you're you're thinking about this intent. My intent was over here. So no wonder. Of course, to fulfill my intent, those behaviors didn't fit what you felt the intent was in that situation. So we might kind of reveal what the the problem was, and we'd both see it together. And that would already build rapport between the two of us. But let me circle back, never underestimate the power of listening and understanding for people. Be curious, not judgmental. I love it because we're going back to the importance of communication, listening, the communication, the, the importance of actually the idea. And I love how you mentioned not to become defensive, but actually jump in into information gathering mode, because if we do become defensive, sometimes that's what I feel like we also lose report, lose points, and you become that know-it-all that is missing that 2%, right? Yeah, kind of right. If you don't have that 2%, like 2% of the plane, like you said perfectly, I would not get in that plane. <laughs> I, I would see where I'm at. I'm, I'm okay. I can skip the flight. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm loving this conversation, but I did want to ask you about the book though. Is there yeah. a portion of the book that you just love the most from all the lessons that you share with us? I'll tell you what I really like about that book that even if you don't read it, if you put it on your desk face out, people respond to you differently. It's like a cross with a vampire. Now I make a joke about that, but I have had so many people tell me, oh yes, I have your book on my desk. I got one little plate holder. It sits up like this. It creates uh, laughter and conversations with people. Oh, what? People can't stand me. Yeah. I'm going to learn how to deal with you. And and you based on those conversations, you know, you can start talking about what here, what I realize that, you know, you like to get get right to the point. And I'm always thinking more to details and trying to explain it to you. And no wonder you get impatient with me, you know, and you can kind of pull back the curtain on what's going on between you and another person. It's a very good uh, conversation starter. Yes. And I would say, honestly, the the most Albanian saying that we have, it's like an onion with a lot of layers in order <laughs> to get to the root of it. There's a lot of lessons, you guys. And I'll put the links in the show notes for my lazy listeners. It's a tap away. <laughs> you guys, this book has sold over 2 million copies, translated in multiple languages so far. There's lessons that everybody can absolutely learn from. And Dr. Rick, I love our conversation. I wish we could continue this for hours. I, mm-hmm. I have so many more questions, but I hope all the, you know, the necessary information that we did cover, people actually learned a lot from it. But if somebody is like, hey, like, he sounds amazing. I want him to train my team that doesn't like me. How can we change this around? Or how can we actually work better? Where can people actually get a hold of you and connect with you also? Dr. Dr. Rick Brinkman at dot com. That's my website. And I do have all kinds of resources. You know, certainly I've done all kinds of programs, half day, full day. I've worked with the astronauts at NASA, the Department of Defense, FBI, Aetna. There's hardly an industry I haven't worked in because it's such a universal topic. Then for individuals too, the book is great, but for some people, they're listeners. I'm much more of an audio listener than a, a reader. I, I remember actually, that's the third version of the book that came out in 2012. And I looked at my co-author, I said, oh my God, I've got to read this book. <laughs> Because I'm not a reader. I've never listened to the book, but I, I did read through it. Uh, but that was 2 million in 2012. It's gone further than that. And I have an online course. So it's self-paced online course. And there's audios, a lot of live seminars that I have. And certainly for those listeners, the book's not on Audible at the moment. There It was, but McGraw-Hill and Audible are in a little with each other, but it's available in any all other. Maybe audio. you need to get in the middle to make them, you know. I, I really think so. Yeah, yeah, I just got today that the 
the audio is going to get translated into Spanish. That's amazing. Awesome. And you guys, again, the links will be on the show notes. Absolutely. Go ahead and click there. Connect on LinkedIn. Connect everywhere because it'd be really amazing. I mean, honestly, Dr. Uh, Dr. Rick, if you guys just literally Google his name, like a lot of other videos are going to come up on YouTube, uh, which I listen to a lot of them. And I'm just sitting there listening. I'm like, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. I need to fix this. I feel like I have so many things to fix, but I also love it because you come out very passionate when, I, when you're talking, trying to help others. And it comes from a very good point and it comes from I feel like inspiration to help others do a lot more which you can totally see that through the book through the videos and through this episode is there any new exciting project that you're working on that you'd like to share with us because I know you have a lot of resources but anything new we should definitely look out for well my newest book which came out in 217 uh, solo was dealing with meetings you can't stand how to meet less and do more I found that that's a context that makes people crazy all these meetings and wasted time and I've developed a process called the meeting jet process I think it's very important to think of a meeting like a jet flight there's got to be a very clear the pilot's not going to say oh and we're going to leave at some time well, it seems like that happens a lot, but we're going to, there's a time and you know where you're going to be. And what you want to do is flight recording. You want to take whatever people say and put it on the whiteboard. We talked about that with the know-it-all, how then they see all the points and it becomes easy for other people to add points. So you get a big picture. There's got to be a speaking order. Otherwise you're going to have your assertive people dominating and your passive people are just going to drop out. I recommend that you could have a volunteer speaking order, but I personally like a circular order. You go around the room and that ensures that you're going to hear from everybody and you balance participation. And what you get was what I call holographic thinking. It's like your eyes. Your two eyes see from two different points of view. They're both similar, but different. Imagine them argue about whose point of view is correct. Well, that's absurd. They're both correct. They're both different. And when your brain synthesizes the two points of view, you see three dimensions. So if we hear from everybody in the room then we're going to get the holographic understanding. One person's going to be talking about things that is going to get it done fast. The other one is going to say things to make sure it's right. Somebody else is going to be considering the people's feelings and how they're going to feel when they do have to do this other work. And it's not one thing, a right eye and a wrong eye. It's it's all of it together. And so I, I would highly recommend. I, I found dealing with people you can't stand deals with those behaviors, but the process, the meeting jet process, eliminates those behaviors at meetings. They they don't even start. The feedback I get, oh, I, we had this one, you know, uh, hour meeting that always would go late and start late. And we've been doing it for years. And the first time we did the process, we were done in 30 minutes. And we got more done in 30 minutes than we did in the last six months. Yes. And I feel like a lot of times businesses just have meetings back to back, staying busy, but not productive. So that's absolutely very helpful. And I feel like especially nowadays, jumping every day and Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings, like, okay, but when are, when is the associate or the director or the manager actually going to have time to get the other tasks done? Because you're just kind of being very repetitive on the meetings too, because yeah. you don't have, you know, those goals, those one, two, three, four, accumulate the meeting, set expectations, and then jump in. So that would be really an amazing book too, especially again. We're living in a crazy world. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. everything running online, we need to be very productive and try to be as you know productive as we can. Now, I have to be biased though, but this is my final question. And I, I love the question because every time I'm just intrigued with others would say, what is your personal definition of success? Oh, well, I'd say success is setting out to do what you want to do and knowing that you gave it your all. I like that. So knowing you gave it your all and you should, you know, get satisfaction from it and don't be hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Perfect. Definitely don't be hard on yourself. That's just going to get in the way of getting other things done successfully. Mm -hmm. Yes. Any other things that you'd like to leave the audience with before we close this interview? Just that remember life is not a test. It's an actual emergency. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Rick, for being a part of Coffee with Romina podcast. It's wonderful to to share coffee with you. Thank you. Absolutely. And and Mm. for For you, my dear listeners, just make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast just from. If you are listening from Apple Podcasts, give us the five-star review. Tell us what you loved about this episode. We'd love to hear your comments in there at the Apple Podcast. Again, five-star review and a short comment. Uh, The links would be on the show notes, how you guys to connect with Dr. Rick. And from me, Romina, your favorite podcaster, I hope you guys have a fabulous and a tremendous rest of the week. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye. This podcast is a 6-7 Radius production. To learn more about 6-7 Radius, our services, and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales, click the service tab on connectwithromina.com.